Amen. I want to really just go through a very brief but contextual look into what will take you to your expected end. Amen. Um, Philippians chapter 1 verses 3 and 6 states this. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion unto the day of Christ Jesus. He said being confident. Did somebody say confident? If you're writing notes, just write that down. Confident. I got to be confident. I have to. Do you not understand what being confident is? Have you ever met an unconfident person and you just know they're not confident because they're just walking around like, oh, they're all quiet, they're shy, they're very uh, evasive with their answers, they're, they're not really confident. Have you ever seen somebody wear something that's a really nice outfit but they're not confident in the outfit? And no matter how good they look, they just they don't like it because they're uncomfortable in it and there's no sense of confidence. Like when a man doesn't like to wear a tie and he doesn't feel, why are you laughing so hard, Mike? And they just don't feel confident in their tie. And no matter how good they look in their nice ties, they just don't feel confident. Somebody say confident. He said, I'm confident of this very thing that he who began a good work, somebody say good work, will complete it. Do you believe that God started a good work in your life? Now, I want you to say it like you're confident. Do you believe that God started the good work in your life? We have to hold on to that word confident. That word confident is the Greek equivalent to the word to persuade. It means, um, it signifies the, um, the application of persuasion or to prevail to the point to, that you win or to actually overcome something. So he's saying, I'm confident. In the Greek, he's saying, I've overcome the fact that it might not happen. Y'all just missed that. He said, I've overcome the thought process that maybe God doesn't love me. I've overcome that. I'm beyond that point. I know God loves me. He says, I overcome the point. I, I'm confident, persuaded past the point of being just a lackadaisical person. I'm persuaded past that point. He says, I'm persuaded past the point of doubting God. I'm confident that when, when I first came to Christ, that fire I had, he's going to finish it. That, how many remember when you first became in love with God, like you were just on fire for God? How many ever had that experience? Maybe it was a moment in your life where you, you felt the fire of God. You were excited about serving God. And then measure that right, you know, against where you're at right now. Are you still as confident as you were when you first gave your life to God? Or do you find yourself facing all types of struggles, situations, and, and just thought processes in your mind that do not allow you to be confident that God is going to finish what he started? Are you with me? Um, I came to tell you today something very simple, that what started you in the beginning is what's going to bring you to your end. Amen? Uh, to be confident means to have full assurance. Uh, Webster's at one point defines it um, in the sense of to remove all doubt. What's the key word in that sentence, remove all doubt? No. No. Oh. Not one, you got, you can't wait to the end and then everybody says every other word. There's only three words in a sentence and get excited about that one word you got. That's just not right. And I said that really quick, I know. I was waiting for somebody to do that. Now I'm just kidding. But he says, he's removed all doubt. You know what that means, Yvette? All doubt? Has anybody in this place got to that point where you've removed all doubt? So back to the, back to the scripture. Um, he says this. Uh, in verse 6, being confident of this. So, we would read it like this. We would say that um, not being confident of this. It's really simple. You add words here and there as to how you're really feeling. 
So you're not that confident that God can really complete the work he started you. The Bible says that God is not a man that he would what? Which means men do what? So when somebody calls you a liar and you say, no, I'm not a liar. Well, the Bible says that men lie. Has anybody here never told a lie? So we're all liars at some point in time. So the, the question becomes this. Is God lying? God is not a man that he would lie, nor a son of a man. You have to understand this, this, this concept that, that you have to be confident, persuaded. The apostle writes in the, in, in the Bible, he says, I am persuaded that neither heaven nor hell, demon powers. He said nothing above the earth, under the earth. He said, I am persuaded that nothing. He was talking about the oceans. You got it, event. He was talking about the, the mountains. He was talking about the stars, the expanses of the universe. He said, I am persuaded that nothing can separate me from the love of God. I should have been more excited about that, but that's okay. It's hump day. We understand that. That you have to be excited that God will not separate his love from you is to be persuaded to remove all doubt. Not to remove doubt while you're in church hearing the word like this. Not to remove doubt when you get that nice big check in the mail. When your boss gives you a raise unexpectedly. Not to remove all doubt when, when things are going on, but to remove all doubt when you're at the worst and the lowest of situations that not one word of negativity comes to your mouth and you're able just to say, you know what? God's got a plan. I, I, I don't understand that, but God's got a plan. If you can get to that point, you're going to be successful in life. I got one amen. I don't know who was that, but you're going to be successful, whoever that was. I got one amen. The rest of them don't really want to be successful. Um, to be confident means to having a strong belief, full assurance, to, to be um, fulfilled with confidence, um, to be sure of yourself, having no uncertainty about your own abilities or the fact that you are correct. Um, the word confident is also defined by Webster as to be successful. My goodness. So he says, I'm confident. I'm successful. I've already won. What do successful people have? Why is it you equated success with money? Successful people have happiness, joy, life unspeakable. They have family. They have, they have wealth beyond, beyond what money can buy. Because money don't buy you happiness. I've known some people who are very successful at marriage and they're flat broke. But they're happy as you can ever see them. Because what? Because money doesn't get you everything. I find that in most cases, money is what makes you stressed out. Trying to find more money gets you more stressed out. Then you're going to school so you can get a higher paying job than somebody else, and that gets you more stressed out. And you're all types of depressed and everything. If you, if you were to sit down and think about your life, the majority of what you do in your life is geared towards how much money you can make in life. And, and that's the wrong thing to be the main focus of your life. The main focus of our life should be how we can serve God in a special way. And through that, God will help you in your school and God will help you with everything else. We, I, you know what? I, I, can't, I can't get away from the fact that when, when God called Moses to a higher level and God called Egypt out of I told you this before. He called um, Israel out of Egypt and he said, Pharaoh, let my people go. What did the Pharaoh do? He doubled their workload. Just like when God calls you to, to a ministry, God calls you to something, your workload gets doubled and you don't know why. All of a sudden, you could be unemployed and stressed out. I've been there, have nothing to do all the time in the world, but no, no way to serve God. You can have a regular job, and then all of a sudden they want you to go above and beyond. They don't care if you're sick. They don't care nothing. Jobs these days don't care about your well-being. 
Whatever your situation may be, how come it is that when we really try to serve God, so many things that, that get in our way and so many of them are really uh, attaining or pertaining rather to your monetary situation in life? You hearing me? You with me so far? To be confident. Um, to be confident is also described in Webster's as being bold. It's also um, being excessively bold and presumptuous. To be trustful. To be confident. Amen? Being confident of him, meaning God, that started this thing, this thing meaning the work of God in you, that he will complete it. God is not one to leave something undone, and he won't leave something half complete. God won't leave you in need of anything, and he just wants to finish what he started in you. God does not want to, to leave you by the wayside. He does not want to leave you in a desert. Understand that when, everybody ever heard the story of the Israel in the desert? How many years they spent in the desert? Forty years. They spent 40 years in the desert. Why? Because they were bickering, muttering, and complaining. When geographically speaking, it was a two-week journey. They could have made it in two weeks to the promised land. They took 40 years. Circles and circles and circles. Anybody ever felt like you're going in circles? I challenge you. I think you are. You ever heard that, that saying, go with your gut? Because it's probably right. If you feel like you're going in circles, you probably are. There's no supernatural spiritual answer to it. There's no overly, you know, heavenly answer to the fact that some of us are just walking in circles and we're just walking around square one because we think it looks cute. How many of you know that you stay in square one most of your week and it's not till maybe a Sunday morning you get past square one and then the rest of the week you want to go back to square one? I got some faces like, mm-hmm. Colossians, first, um, first chapter, verses 10 and 12 says this, and we pray this in order that you may have life, uh, no, rather that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. Somebody say good work. Growing in the knowledge of God. Why? Because you did good work. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have a great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of life. Not only does God going to complete a work in you, there's a work that you have to complete. There's a resounding theme to the Bible called the good works. Uh, the Bible does tell you you cannot get to heaven just on good works alone. You can't do it. But it also says to do your good works. Um, 2 Timothy verses 2, or chapter 2 rather, verses 20 and 21. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy and useful to the master, meaning God, and prepared to do any good work. To be prepared to do any. Are you prepared to do anything for God? Is anybody here really prepared to do anything for God? Or do we say, I am so available. And then when somebody comes, well, you know, pastor's looking for somebody to do this, and it's just like, oh, my, my schedule doesn't work that day. I have a dinner date. Or I can't do it that day because of this. We have to say, you know what, God, I'm available to you on your time frame, God. Do you know how much of my own personal life I give up to be a pastor? About 75% of it. I don't say that boastfully. I say it because I know going into this, that's what was going to happen. I get phone calls at all times of day, all times of night. It doesn't matter. And my personal life is constantly invaded. But I allow it, not because I don't care about myself, but because I care about some people more than I do about myself, which is why when you care about others, when you are selfless, you will do things for others and go beyond the call of duty. And you will just go above and beyond. And you will not look at yourself, your own schedule, your own important personal agenda that's gotten you nowhere because you're still doing nothing with your life and you're so busy. Isn't that crazy? How we're always so busy and we're never, never getting nowhere. I just, 
I just, isn't that amazing? But yet we're always struggling, we're always struggling, we're always struggling. And God's just saying, do something for me and I'll do something for you. Are you with me? We got just maybe 10 more minutes, I promise you. I have, I have a meeting after this, that's why I need to get through this. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Do you ever wonder why sometimes you come to church and feel like somebody slapped you? It's like, why well, pastor's preaching so mean today? Why is he talking about sin? Well, I was doing that yesterday. Why is he going to talk about that now? Did he hear about me or nothing? The Bible says that every scripture is God-breathed, used for correction, teaching, righteousness. God is trying to correct you. I have, I have long been confounded with the fact that nowadays people say stuff like this. They say, oh, the pastor's talking about me. Well, these ministers are talking about me. Rather than realizing God's talking to you. Nobody's talking about you. God's talking to you. If you come to church and a situation is applicable to the, to, to the circumstances of your life at that current place, I challenge you, God is talking to you. God is talking to you. So the person next to you, do you hear him? So every scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. What does that tell you about righteousness? What does the scripture let you know about righteousness? Oh, Yvette, you hear that? I want to punch you in the face. You're so cool today. It's a process. It's, it's not something that's going to happen overnight. You know, we get saved overnight, and some of these, you know, I remember, you know, back in the day, you would have to, I had the mindset, like, you, know, you had to cut sin out all together and this and that, but I realized that it's a process. It's not going to come overnight. Rome was not built overnight. It took hundreds of years to build a mighty empire, and it took hundreds of years for it to degrade to the point where it fell apart. It takes time for you to build a walk of righteousness with God, and it takes time for it to deteriorate. So in the meantime, many of us who are deteriorating, we can say, you know what? I got to patch this up. I got to get this right, because every scripture is God-breathed for my correcting, for my teaching, for my training. How many of us know we don't like to be corrected? Nobody likes to really be corrected, because being corrected means you did something wrong, and you have to accept responsibility of something negative, and people don't like being responsible for negative stuff. People don't like that kind of stuff. How many of you can honestly say, Pastor, I have a little bit of a, a problem with authority in my life? Uh-huh. Or, thank you, thank you. Oh, my God, we have to pray for all of you. Everybody shot their hand up real quick. Maybe you don't have, maybe you don't have a problem with authority in your eyes. Well, but if you get overly emotional, emotional and somebody corrects you, you got a problem with authority. If you get defensive, defiant, you hearing that? You can only, what did I tell you months ago? You will only defend a place where you feel attacked. You get that? You can only defend a place that you feel attacked. So if, if, if Minister Carmen comes and says, you know, um, not for nothing, Brother Mike, but, um, you know, I saw you leaving your water bottle in church, and Pastor has time and time again asked that we don't, and you say something like, well, you know, that was my first time. Instead of just saying, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you know what? I apologize. You know what? I disrespected the house. That's my fault. What does the Bible say in the book of Proverbs about God and what he does to the ones he loves? Those he loves, he... You've you been reading your Bible? He corrects those he loves. 
When you feel a preaching coming at you and it's correcting you, don't get offended. Don't get frustrated. Don't get confused. If you get confused about something, guess what? It's not of God because God is not the author of confusion. God is the author of love, life. God is the author of just the light of your life. He wants you to live a life of happiness and joy and peace. I, God does not want you to be in your house struggling on your knees praying and, and just waiting for the next miracle to happen so you can make your rent. That's not God's will for your life. I've told you a thousand times, God does not want you to live on the brink of a miracle every day. God does not want you to be waiting for a supernatural blessing. God wants you to live blessed day to day. The Bible says he wants you to go from glory to glory. We cannot get satisfied with waiting for a supernatural move of God in our lives. We can't sit there and say, you know, God, I'm waiting for the heavens to open up and for that check to come right down into my mailbox and I know it's signed by you. And it's just like, no, God does not want that. God wants you to have everyday, natural, loving faith where you know you're going to have a great day. Have you ever woke up in the morning and said, I'm going to have a great day today? Anybody ever did that? I challenge you, if those are the first words you breathe into your life, whether you brush your teeth or not, if those are the first words you breathe into your day, get a paper tonight, go home, write it out, print it out, whatever you got to do, put it at least three places in your bedroom and wake up and read that. I'm going to have a blessed day today. And you will speak that into like the, the first thing that will happen will be bad. I guarantee it. Something's going to try and get you upset. And then automatically you're going to say, this is the devil. This is the devil. No, it's not. It's just the everyday things that come to confound us. Not everything is the devil. Somebody said, mm-hmm. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7 to 9. One of my favorite scriptures, rather verse 8 and 9, excuse me. And it says this, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in, in. What's that in mean? I, I did a preaching on the word in once on a Sunday morning, and I gave you 39 definitions Webster has for the word in. And how all of them allude to a position of power, a position of possession. So it says to be in, in every good work. Isn't it amazing a word like in can have 38 definitions? 38, not one, not two, not 10, not 15, not 20, 38 rows, 38. So what is the in what? Every what? So that God's grace may what? Abound. What's that mean? What's that word mean, abound? Uh, when your kid is bounding around the place, it's jumping, it's moving, it's active, it's, uh, they're off the walls, they're bouncing. You, you, you follow me, Jen? And they're, they're all types of crazy, and they're like, ah, my kids are bounding. That God's grace can abound into your life, can run into you, smack you, can make you all types of crazy. God's grace can abound to you, but when, when, that you have all things and all sufficiency, when, 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 in your good works. We like to read that first part, God is able. To make all grace abound towards you. Everybody's like, hallelujah. Hey, they, they, they leave the scripture right there. Instead of reading the rest, in every good work. The promises of God are what? Yes and amen. Always conditioned and hinged upon a word called if. There's always, God's promises don't just fall out the sky. There's always an if as to what you have to do to receive them. Somebody say Amen. So my question to you is, what started this work, this good work in you? What started the good work of God in you? Somebody help me out here today. What started the work of God in you? God started it. How do you know it was God? But how do you know it was God? Why do you believe that scripture? What? I heard something. Yvette, you're on point today. Yvette, you are so on point today. Faith started, you were on the right track, but faith 
started your Jesus, your Christ experience. Faith. What is faith? They're competing now. Mother and daughter just throwing verses at me back and forth here. Hebrews 11, chapter, um, chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. And I'm going to read it from five different translations today, and then we'll be done and out of here. Amen. From the NIV, or actually the New King James Version. First, and now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Substance meaning the, the actual things that make it up. Not the actual, uh, the actual thing itself, just the thought process that makes it up in your mind. It's, so here it goes. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. For by it, meaning faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. Mm-hmm. You with me? Hebrews 11 verse 1 in the NIV says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Has anybody ever been certain of what you do not see? And being certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients, meaning the people who went before us, were commended for. I need a volunteer. You want a volunteer? She raised her hand first. Come on. What's your name again? Melissa. Keep on forgetting her name. Come on, put your hands together for Melissa. Now, I promise, you can just stand right here. I promise I'm going to be nice. And nothing we ask you to do is going to be too crazy. And it's going to be nothing bad or nasty, okay? Lori, could you help me out? Could you hook her up, please? You guys ready? Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for. How many of you are hoping for things? Come on, come on. Don't pay attention to Melissa yet. It's not even her turn. Faith is the substance of things what? Hoped for. How many of you are hoping for something? Come on, raise your hand. Erica, what are you hoping for? You're hoping to be an RN? Come on, who else? Who's hoping for something? Come on. Yvette? A house? Health for your baby? Anybody else? Come on, Rose, you're hoping for something? Houses? Cars? Alex? Money? Yes, that's for you. You're hoping for something? Everything? Huh? All right, I got you. Are you hoping? Are you hoping in Christ? Is anybody hoping today? Are you hoping in God? Could you get that stuff for me over there, Lori? We're going we're gonna to have a little moment here. Amen? Somebody say amen. Now, faith is being sure of what you do not what? See. Could you give her, could you give her specimen number one? Just open your mouth, Melissa. She's going to feed you something. You can do it. You can do it. Yeah, just it's a little bit. Just give her a little taste. What is that? It's, it tastes like mustard, does it? Do you think it's mustard? Do you see it? But you taste it? You feel it? Anybody ever tasted the presence of God in your life? Ever felt God all over you? You didn't have to see him to believe it? Did you have to see it to believe it was a, it was a, it was a spoonful of mustard? Did we have to, like, you know, pull out the Heinz bottle and, let, and say, oh, my God, that's mustard. But when you taste it, and when you feel it on you, you believe it automatically. Could you give her number two, please? It's not that bad. Number two is a lot better. What's that? Are you sure? Are you looking? Well, how do you know? It tastes just, 
Isn't it funny when God tells you something and you say, I don't know if that's God. If it looks like God, tastes like God, walks like God, it's God. And God opens the door. I don't know if that's God. I don't know. God wouldn't. I don't know. He doesn't love me that much. Are you with me? Faith is the evidence of things hoped for, or the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We are a very ocular generation, I'll say. We have to see everything to believe it. We are a generation who, if we don't see it, we don't want to hear it, we don't want to believe it. We're very visually stimulated. Um, 90% of what we bring into our bodies and our, our knowledge is, do you know that 90% of what you know is because of what you see? Not because of what you heard, what you learned, it's because you see things. The vast majority of all your learned behaviors are because you see things. But yet God wants to challenge you to be able to hold on to things you don't see. That's faith. Come on, specimen number three. I don't know how you're going to do it, but work it out because you're Lori. And you can do anything. It's not that bad. It's nothing bad at all, I promise. So she's coming right now. Hold on. Hold on. Hold that thought. Come on, Lori. Come on. You should have had this. Oh, my goodness. You sure it's childproof? It's Lori proof. Let me see. Let me help you out here. What's wrong with this thing? Oh, I see. Is there anything even in here? What did you buy me, Lori? I think it's idiot proof because I can't get it open. Yeah, you got to poke it. Could you, could you go bring that outside and we're going to poke that real quick? Somebody help me out here. Evidence of what? What you do not what? See. I'm believing God that by the end of today, at least, I don't care, you know, statistically speaking, most of you are going to forget what I'm saying. Statistically speaking, most of you came here just to come. Statistically speaking, most of you don't really put to action what you hear in church. And let me tell you something, it shows. Statistically speaking, the, the majority of us are not touched on a day-by-day basis by God. The majority of us, statistically speaking, and you know, statistics are really very accurate. That we read the Bible and we gain nothing from it because we don't feel we see God in our lives. Statistically speaking, most of you will give up on your prayers, your hopes, and your dreams because you never saw something break through when you wanted to. So you would then say, well, maybe God didn't want me to have that house instead of saying, oh, hell no, I'm going to pray till I get it. Most of you are willing to throw in the towel so you will not look like a fool in defeat. Most of us would rather give up and say God had different plans rather than say, you know what, my God can do anything. We will sit there and say, you know what, God had a different plan. As anybody can say, you know what, I've been there before. I've said that before. I've done that. I've given up on some things that I know God has for me. You ready, Lori? Is it working now? All right. Since we're some juice, it's just juice. That's all. It's not that bad. What is that? How do you know? Oh my God, that's the perfect answer. So you know it's gone because you've experienced it before. So why doubt God? That is like the most perfect answer I could have asked for. So you know what these things are because you, you come in contact or you've come in contact with them before, right? So now you know it's God because you've contacted him before, I hope. So faith is the evidence of things not seen. It's the substance of things hoped for, guys. Come on, read the verses with us. 
some things happen and you just don't realize, you know, what happened? No, but what happened? How do you know? Did you see him? But did you? Oh, so you're going to go to the police station and say, I think I got robbed. I feel I was robbed. I feel I was assaulted. I feel. Or do you have any proof? I didn't feel Did anybody here feel anything? You did. Oh, so you mean that somebody could be in the church and feel something from God that nobody else felt and it'd still be God? So are you sure that you felt what you felt? Do you know who pushed you? So somebody else could have ran up and just popped you. And you were defenseless. But are you believing that somebody pushed you? You do. I, I, didn't, I almost had my head turned. I, I don't think I even saw much of anything. But are you sure? Did anybody see? Did you sure she got pushed? I don't know. I, I don't know. But yet she felt it. She experienced it. But maybe you didn't. That's why some folk, when you go to them, God told me this. I don't know God told you that. When God did tell you, but you decided to run it by somebody else that didn't even matter in God's eyes. And you're saying, well, God told me this. And then they make you feel dumb about what God told you. And so you never pursue what God wants you to do. That makes sense? Come on, put your hands together for Melissa. You could take her blindfold off. Lori, help her out. She got a bottle of water for you too. So Hebrews 11 verse 1. And I have just two more verses to give you. Hebrews 11, verse 1, from the Amplified Version of the Bible. This is an amazing scripture, and it says, Now faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed. I, this is one of my favorite translations of this scripture. It is the title deed. Does anybody, you know what the title deed is, right? Carmen, what's the title deed of your house? Where's it at? Yeah, <laughs> but you have the title, don't you? She got the title because she owned that event. You got the title to your car, don't you? Because you owned it. Most of you making payments on your houses and on your cars. You don't got the title. The bank does because you don't own it. But faith says that it is the title deep of the promises of God in your life. It is the confirmation number you get on this. When you order something online, they send you that confirmation number. Save this number. In case anything goes wrong, this is your confirmation number. In case anything goes wrong, I got my faith that God is going to... Y'all not, not hearing this. No matter what happens, you got your confirmation number. It's called Hebrews 11, verse 1, uh, being sure of this very thing, you know? That faith is the, is the substance of things hopeful, the evidence of things not seen. What's my confirmation number? Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, that being positive, being persuaded, confident of this thing, that God, he who began a good work in me shall perform it, shall finish it. Man, I have a confirmation number in Christ. I have a confirmation number in Christ that no matter what happens, I got my number I'm going to. Take it to the bank. This is my number. What are you talking about? Are you with me? It says this. It is the confirmation, the title of the things we hope for. Being the proof of the things we do not see, the conviction of their reality before it is revealed or faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to your senses. That is an amazing amazing thing. Uh, what she experienced was she tasted things, and although it wasn't revealed to all of her senses, she was still well aware of what was transpiring um, on her taste buds, and when somebody pushed her, she was very aware of what had happened, because uh, faith tells you that it happens to, before it even hits your senses, you know what it is. 
It says it right here. I like the way it says it because it goes on to say it's the conviction of the reality. It's the proof of things you can't see. It's the proof. I, when I think of proof, I think of that show, the first 48, when they're looking for all types of hints and clues and proofs as to who was the murderer. And they, before they even ever catch the guy, they have to prove it was him. And once they have all the proof, then they can go get him. You have to find out what the proof is for your blessing. What the proof is for your foundation in Christ. What is the proof? We're talking about a simple fact today, and it's called faith. You have to be confident that God's going to do it for you. Amen? It says it is faith perceiving. What's perceiving? What's perception? Perception is not reality, FYI. But it says, you've been on point today, so help me out. What you think it is. Perception or what perceive, to perceive something is how your mind looks at it analyze it, breaks it down, adapts to it, and how it adheres to something. Uh, that's perception. In a nutshell. In layman's terms for you. So how do you perceive the blessings of God in your life? So faith, you with me? Faith, perceiving, understanding, meaning, perceiving, meaning knowing, perceiving, meaning being confident, perceiving as real fact what has not even been unveiled to your eyes to your ears, what has not been unveiled to your senses, your touch, your taste. So your faith tells you, I haven't experienced it. I haven't felt it. I can't see it. I, I got nothing, nothing to go on but God's word. And you know what? That's good enough for me. Hebrews 11 verse 3 says this, by faith we know the heavens were, were formed and, and, uh, by the word of God and, and, and he made something from nothing. And, and he began to create the, uh, the, the earth from nothing, basically, the Bible says in Hebrews 11 verse 3. That's the foundation of faith. If you can't believe Genesis 1 verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, close the book, seal it up. If you can't believe that, you can't believe anything else. So he says this, it is um, uh, faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. And check this, for by faith, trust and holy fervor, which is born of faith, the men of old, meaning throughout the Bible, had divine testimony born to them. And obtain a good report before the Lord. Why? Because they chose to believe God. Amen? Hebrews 11 verse 1 in the New Living Translation says, What is faith? It is the confident assurance that what we hope for is going to happen. It is the evidence of things we cannot yet see. And God gave his approval to the people in the days of old because of their faith. My favorite one, Hebrews 11 verse 1, and it comes from the Message Bible. The fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes your life worth living. Faith is what makes your life worth living. Faith, to be honest, there's no point in your life that you're going to be able to pull an angel out of the heaven and say, God, I'm here he is. This is my proof. You just have to believe God. There's going to be times you might, see, you might see God, you might see an angel, you might have an experience, and people aren't going to believe you because they weren't there with you. But it doesn't mean it did not happen because somebody else didn't see it. That same scripture says this concerning faith. Faith is the handle on what you cannot see. That is one of the most amazing, progressive descriptions of faith I've ever come across in my life. Do you understand what that means? That you might have through your faith the handle to your, to your front door, the house that God wants to give you, and you just have to believe it's the handle. Anybody ever carry something big and with no handles, and it's just hard to get a grip on, and it's hard to hold, and it's, it, the weight is all over the place, and, and the guy said, there's nowhere to grab it at. 
But God says faith is the handle that you carry all your blessings on. It's the actual handle. You're carrying that with you. And no matter what happens, you've got a handle on things. You are not going to lose control. You've got a handle. You have to be confident that God will complete the work in you because you have a handle, a grip on things around you. It is the handle of your life. You will not be able to slip. You will not fall. You, we, we, anybody ever, ever fell before? What would you do? You reached out for something to grab, something to hold, something to put in your hand. Henceforth, something to hand. God said faith is the handle to your life. It is the handle that everything you cannot see. Do you believe God has something coming your way that you cannot see? And I don't want you to say yes because it sounds good, looks cute. I want you to say because you really believe it from your innermost core that yes, there's got to be something better than what I'm living now. Faith is the thing. It's the handle. It's that actual grip on it. You have to grab a grip on that thing. You've got to hold it and don't let it go. You've got to choke that thing until it dies, until it just blows up in your face. And then, then you, oh, I see what it is now. It's a house. What's the worst thing you can do? Waiting. Let go. Exactly. When you're waiting for God, how about this? When you're waiting for God, what's the worst thing you can do? Huh? Give up. What's the second worst thing you could do? Doubt. That's a good one. I'll take that. What's the third worst thing you can do? Huh? Lose faith. How about limit God? Limit God. Anybody know how you can limit God in your faith? And it's funny because you think you're having faith, but you're really just limiting God. You say, God, I'm believing you for 2010 Honda Accord because I think it's the best car out there. And God's like, I had a, 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 a 2010 5 Series BMW on the way to your house, and you asked me for a Honda? Instead of saying, God, I need a car. Whatever's in your will, give it to me. And you're sitting there saying, God, I want a 2,500-square-foot house with two bedrooms, a great room. I want crown molding. And God's like, I had a seven-bedroom with a finished basement, two-car garage, and you only have one car, but that means the second one's coming. And he's like, I had a granite countertop. I had Viking appliances for you. I was going to give it to you dirt cheap, and now you want some bungalow? All right, whatever you want. Go ahead, go for it. <laughs> That's yours. And then you rationalize and say, well, this is better for me. This is all right. Because we limit God. And if we're honest with ourselves, and we have to have that reality, as the Bible says that all the word of God is God breathing. It's for your correction, for your instruction, your teaching. You have to realize that we've limited God in our faith. We can say, you know what, uh, I believe God to buy this building, but now that that's over, I have to believe him for something else. I'm believing God now for land, at least a couple of acres, we can build a new building on it. Why not? Why not? But I'm not going to sit there and think of the building in my head. I'm going to let him do that once I get the land. I can't get ahead of myself because then I get ahead of myself and I say, well, then now I only need this much land because I have all these plans already drawn up. So now God had 10 acres for me, but I only need three for my complex. So God, I'm okay with three. Do you get what I'm saying? Don't limit God just by having an idea of what you want. The Bible says what? No eye has, no ear has what God has in store for you. So stop thinking about it, stop listening to it, and stop worrying about it. Because God has it. You haven't seen it. You don't know what he has for you. It's going to blow your mind when it comes. And whatever it is, it's going to be great and awesome. Why? Because God did it. And it's going to be so awesome, you know only God could do it. How do you know when it's gone? When it's something smarter than you can think of or do yourself. Which for some of you, that's a lot. So that wouldn't be really, you know, applicable. Heather, sorry, I saw that. But you get my point? When it's really beyond your comprehension, beyond your compensation at work that he gave you that, it's, I'm telling you that it's nothing but God. That's how you know. Don't limit God by telling him what you want. 
because what you want probably really sucks in, in comparison to what God has for you. Could you imagine that? I, 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 I find it hard to believe that you don't have big dreams. And then the Bible says he can, he can do anything above what you could ask or imagine. The exact translation says he can do exceedingly, abundantly, above what you ask or imagine. Exceedingly, that's a big word. To, th- that means to go beyond and then go beyond and then go beyond some more. Exceedingly. There's no limit to it. It's limitless. Don't limit God. Don't put God in a box. Why do you want to be an RN? God says, you know, I just might want you to be the most successful doctor in Fairfield County. You never know. And you may say, well, that's too much school. That's too much money. You never know. God, you know, your goal may be RN, but don't leave it at that. God might have something bigger for you, better for you. Whatever your goal may be in life, you've not reached it. I don't care how old you are or how young some of you think you are. You have not reached your goal in life. You are not at your limit. You're not at your fullest potential. God has more for you. You just got to reach for it. You believe me, Alex? You believe that, Reuben? God has more for you than that. Do you believe that? So then that leads me to my last scripture. Faith without works. That's the original word. Now we say faith without action, but the original translation says faith without works is dead. So being confident of this very thing, he who began a good in me shall unto the day of Jesus Christ. So faith without is dead. So if you believe in God for something, how many of you believe in God for a house? Come on, if you believe in God for a house, raise your hands up high and keep them up. Keep them up. You believe in God for a house? Keep them up. Somebody say amen. Somebody say, somebody just shout glory. glory. You're all believing God for your own house, right? Come on, keep your hands up if you believe in God for that. How many of you now are saving for that house? Put your hands down if you're not saving for that house. Very few of you. Faith without works is dead. Y'all don't got a house coming, so you ain't saving for it? What you think, God just going to give you something? No, faith without works is dead. How many of you want a new car? Anybody saving for that new car? One, faith without action is dead. How many of you have family you want saved? Amen. Come on, everybody should have your hand up. How many of you are consistently, ungrudgingly praying for that family? More than half the hands went down. Faith without, and we wonder why they haven't come yet. Faith without works is dead. The thought is good, but the reality is even better, that you might have to do something to get where you want to go. Faith without actions, works, is dead. If you want God to complete his work, maybe you need to start yours. I learned when it came to building things, uh, just we were building this little, the the edifice outside, and and the truth of the matter was we couldn't put the sheetrock up until the insulation was in, and we couldn't put the insulation until the electrical was done. And we can't put the taping on it until the actual sheet rocking is done. We can't paint it until the sheet rocking, tape, insulation, and the electrical are done, let alone the studding, the framing. You know, we can't do any of that until the roof is done. And it's a process. And, and once one thing is finished, then you can start the next thing. You can't expect God to start something huge in your life, and you can't close down the little gaps like prayer, reading your Bible. You can't, you can't expect God to, to raise the house and, put, and to put this, you know, 20-story blessing in your life when you can't even handle a one-story house of prayer. We can't expect God to make you into a mountain of Christianity when you can't even handle the pebble of sin. You with me? There's just something odd about that. There's some things that we got to complete before God completes what he has for you. Amen?
Come on, stand with me. Although I can't see it, I feel it. Although I can't see it, sometimes I'll tell you I can taste it, it's so close. I can't hear it all the time, but it doesn't escape the fact that I know it's there. Have you been to a nice restaurant before? Anybody ever been to a real nice restaurant? Did you not know it's a statistical fact that every restaurant has mice? Isn't that the truth? You can't see it, <laughs> but let me tell you, they're there. You can't hear them, but they're there. Anybody ever been to Beverly's? Exactly. Isn't that one just touched home, Carmen? Everybody knows Beverly's is infested with roaches, but we all buy the pizza because it's just so good, and we just run out the place and we don't want to eat it there. That's why I don't eat there no more, but it still tastes good, right? Just because you don't see them, does it mean they're not there? No, they're still there. We all know it. We all believe it. We don't see it every time. But yet, we can't have that same faith when it comes to God. We saw him move on Friday, if you were with us. We saw him move on Sunday. He moved the Sunday before that. What do you believe in God for? Do you really believe he can do it? Just because you can't see it, feel it, or hear it sometimes, doesn't mean it's not there. Somebody say amen. Come on, grab somebody's hand next to you. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come into your presence. We thank you for the awesome things you're doing in this household, God. God, help us to understand, God, that you will complete the things you started in us, God. That you have a great work for each and every one of us, God. God, help us to even understand, God, that you love us beyond our comprehension, God, and that we have some works we need to do for you, God, that we can't just ask you for everything and give you nothing, God. God, we ask you today that this church, God, these people today, God, will rise up today, God, and realize, Lord, there's some things that we need to do. There's some things, that, some walls we need to take down, some barriers that that we need to push past if we're tired of being stressed out and, and depressed and hurting, if we're tired of it, that we have to push some walls down. God, show us today, God, our faith needs a little bit of action mixed in with it, God. Faith without works is dead, and that what we're doing is useless, God, without acting upon the things that you have called us to do, God. Awaken us, God. Nourish our spirits, God. Continue to shake our hearts and our minds, God. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. God bless you guys.